Joshua chapter 3. Reading from the NIV version. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. God bless you, Gordon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Claudette, for reading that to us. That was a great reading of God's Word. I always think when we've read God's Word, at least you've heard something good today, haven't you? Something inspired and blessed. Well, we're now going to look at this story together just for some time. And basically, I'm going to start off with a question. You know, which side of the river are you on? This was going to be the culmination of a great promise that began in Genesis 12, when God promised Abraham that he would give him and his descendants a land. And now they were about to enter that land. Moses was dead. Joshua had been prepared. Joshua had been assigned this great task of taking the people into the promised land. 
which was a promise that had been fulfilled to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I just imagine them in heaven looking down thinking, do you know what? At last, it's going to be fulfilled. After hundreds of years, generations had passed, and they hadn't had the fulfillment of that promise, and it was about to happen. This was no small event. You might think, well, it's a bit different to the Red Sea, and it's a bit different to, you know, um, other miracles. But let me tell you, just because it was a river rather than a sea does not diminish either the miracle or the great importance that this crossing had for them. We find that Moses was authenticated when he went to the Red Sea. His rod went out and the sea parted. And now we find Joshua is authenticated as the Jordan stops flowing upstream at a town called Adam and the people cross over. And also Jesus was authenticated at the Jordan. Of course, later on in our New Testament, Jesus went down into the water and as he came up, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And so authentication of these ministries is seen here in Moses with the Red Sea, in Joshua with the parting of the Jordan or the stopping of the Jordan, pardon me, and then of course with our Lord's baptism. Well, it begins with um, the people of God are told to move. Early in the morning, they had to move. And then we find that three days in verse two, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your position and follow it. This was going to be the signal for the people to move. When the ark was to move, being carried by the priests, the people then were to prepare themselves to go forward. Now, I am sure there may be folk listening at home or, um, or even here, and you might be confused with the word ark. If you say to most folk in the street, well, where, what's the ark all about? In the Bible, they're going to tell you, talk about Noah. They're going to talk about the animals. That's the ark they think of. But this wasn't a boat. This was the ark of the covenant, which Moses had been instructed by God to build and to make that was at the center of the tabernacle. And of course, during the day, there was a pillar of cloud and at night, there was a pillar of fire above it. A very important, I call it a piece of furniture because it was. It had a certain dimensions. We, it had on the top of it two angelic creatures whose wings came over like that. And in that center part was what we now know as the mercy seat. So in this box, there was a pot of manna from the wilderness. There was Aaron's rod that would indeed have um, blossomed. And of course, we have the Ten Commandments. So in this box, in this ark, which was to be carried, it, it brought together the great truths that Israel had learned in the wilderness. One, the law, that God is a, a God of law and that we are to obey his laws and seek to serve him. Secondly, we learn that God is a God of provision when we see the, the pot of manna, how God provided them with food each day. We see that God is a God of resurrection when we see that staff that Aaron had, even though it no longer been part of a tree, it blossomed resurrection. And then most of all, from my point of view, we have that mercy seat on the top. So we have law, we have provision, we have resurrection, but most of all, we have mercy because it was upon that seat on the day of atonement where the blood would be sprinkled and the sins of the people would be covered for a year. So God was turning their attention 
not to the priests who were to carry it, but to the ark itself. It spoke of the presence of God. And you know, friends, it's not changing our lives today. We follow the presence of God. Now you say, well, does that mean we move churches? We've all had it. As a local church pastor for many years, I would hear about all the, all the blessing down the road and the blessing in that church and that church. I, I, you know, and I, I used to think, well, when's it our turn? But when I made, spoke to the pastor maybe or made some inquiries, it really wasn't all that it said it would be. You see, we are not blessing chasers. We follow the presence of God. And the presence of God is before us now. And the presence of God for us is none other than the Holy Spirit and the resurrected Christ and our midst. So we don't have to travel. We don't have to cross any more rivers. We don't have to cross any more seas. In Christ, we have arrived. We are in the promised land and he is our mercy seat. He is our provision. He is our resurrection. So all that the Ark of the Covenant meant for Israel, we find all embraced in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing was they had to move. Now you might think, well, that's a little bit obvious, Gordon. It's a very hot afternoon and you're telling you they had to move. But do you know, that's often the step to a new blessing. Not move church. Anybody can move churches. That's not what it's about. But to move in ourselves. I can move physically quite easily, although um, you might not think so, but I can but moving spiritually can be much more of a challenge. I get set in my way spiritually. I get my ideas, but I have to keep awake and alert to the things that God is doing. And so for me, my following the ark is basically following the guidance of the Lord Jesus Christ into what God has for us. As a church, we believe that God has a future for us. Of course we must believe it. It's his church. And so like Israel of old, we are prepared to move. We're not going to stay where we are. Today's blessings, thank you, Lord. But like the manna, they're not going to take us through and bless us tomorrow. And so Israel had to move, first of all. That was the first action they had to move. When they saw the ark move, they moved. When God's presence moved, they followed the presence of God. Please, the presence of God did not follow them. They followed the presence of God. And we get in line with God. God doesn't get in line with us. We all have our preferences and things that we like and enjoy. But at the end of the day, we follow him. He doesn't follow us. But then strangely enough, in the same verse, it says there, but keep a distance of a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So they were told to follow it. And yet they were called to keep their distance. I wrote in my notes, you know, um, the government didn't invent social distancing. Now, we're supposed to keep two, two metres, or is it two miles apart? Two metres, sorry. And we've sought to do that in the building today. And um, I understand that we even had an, ex an inspection the other Sunday when someone came in from the authorities to check we were doing it, and we got a 10 out of 10 from them. So congratulations to all the staff who have made it possible for us to meet like this. But they had to keep not social distancing from the ark, but I call it divine distancing. God wanted them to know, yes, you follow the presence of God. You follow God, but don't get too familiar. He wanted them to be aware that the ark was special. The ark was holy. So they weren't going to gather around it. it, it you know, it wasn't just some sort of vehicle that could just, no, no. They had to keep back. One commentator said they had to keep back so they could see it in the distance, so they could follow it. 
but also it was a reminder that God is holy and we are sinful. Now, we have discovered the mercy seat. For us, it wasn't some angelic creatures made of gold on a, a, a gold chest, but it was Calvary. Calvary has made it possible for you and I to close that thousand-yard gap. That gap is no longer there. We don't have to keep back. In fact, the Roman letter to the Romans tells us there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ, that we approach with boldness the presence of God. But for Israel, who are going to go into a foreign land, going to go to a place they'd never been before, God wanted to establish, first of all, they followed him, he didn't follow them. Secondly, that he was a holy God and until Christ came, that gap would be there. That distancing would be there in that special way. And so we find there the ark moved, the people moved. They had to keep the distance between them in that way. And then we go on a little bit further into verse five. He then gives them an instruction. The first instruction was to move and to follow. And then we have the instruction keep your distance. But then in verse five, we find that the word of God came to them, very simple. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now we are believing for amazing things amongst us. We will not allow this virus to wreck our church. Amen? We're not going to allow it to happen. We're going to have, believe that we will come out different, but stronger. We will come out of it maybe reduced in numbers, I hope not, but hopefully more spiritual as a result so we can build again. And you know where it begins? It begins with these words, sanctify yourselves. You see, no matter Pastor Colin and the ministry team, no matter how effective they are, how they pray and they care and they preach, at the end of the day, Joshua said to the people, it's your responsibility you sanctify yourselves. And if you do, we have a promise. The promise is that God will do amazing things amongst us. Now, the first time we find the word sanctify, it's actually back in the beginning of Genesis, where God sanctified the seventh day. And it means to set apart. So six days shalt thou labor, and on the seventh day, God rested. And that day was, same word, set apart, sanctified. Time won't allow to go to other places where that word is used. So that's what God expects us to do. God expects us to take our lives and to put it in a place, either to the left or the right, although I think I preached last week, not to neither the left or the right. But God expects us to sanctify ourselves. He wants us to come to our lives, to check that we're not taking any foreign gods into the promised land to check that our attitudes and our behavior and our conduct is correct as the best that we can do it. Oh, it would be wonderful if coming out here, we could lay hands on you and then for the next seven days, you would not sin. It'd be wonderful. We'd have a long queue. We'd pray for you. You wouldn't sin. Come back next. We'd pray for you. No, it doesn't work like that. You are disciples of Christ as I am you are seeking to serve him and follow him. And so Joshua says, sanctify yourselves. Like the Sabbath, set yourselves apart for God. And then as we set ourselves apart from God, we can expect, we can look forward to the Lord doing amazing things 
amongst us. Sanctify yourselves tomorrow. Personal responsibility for holiness. In Exodus 19.10, it talks about how they had to wash clothes. In Genesis 34.2, it speaks getting away, away, I'm sorry, putting away with your foreign gods, which are idols. Do you know we can collect idols so easily? So easily. Or we're not so, I nearly said unsophisticated as a Pentecostal church to believe that any of you have a graven image of a, in your pocket of some so-called deity. But there are things that come in. In fact, I would say you've got to get rid of anything in our lives that's a challenge to the Lordship of Jesus. If we're going to go into the promised land, if we're going to cross the Jordan, if we're going to experience what the wonderful things God has got for us, then we have got to make sure that he has no challenges. Love your family. They are not a challenge to God. He wants you to love your family. Love your wife, love your children, your grandkids, the whole package. They're not a challenge to God as long as he's first. They can follow in behind quite easily. In fact, you'll be a better father, a better husband if Christ is Lord in your life. So the people are there. They've been told to move. There's anticipation. They moved to the river three days earlier. They're now waiting to see the priests move. And of course, as was it, they've been told to move. They have to sanctify themselves and they have to follow, follow at a distance. I hope you have not become too familiar with the things of God. It's a fine balance. We know God's heart is open to us. We know that he's our father. He welcomes us. We are his children. We've received the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. We know all of those wonderful pictures of closeness. And yet we stand back in awe. You know, like Isaiah, we look up and we see the cherubim and the seraphim, holy, holy, holy. When we get that balance, that balance of acceptance that brings us close, the Father heart of God, then we have also that understanding that he is God and above him there is no one at all. So the people are there. They've had their instructions. They've sanctified themselves. They've had the promise that this day that they will see tremendous things amongst them. Well, the journey begins. Um, Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. And then it says that when you reach the edge of the Jordan, go and stand in the river. This was a tremendous challenge of faith. Don't forget, they were carrying on their shoulders, if I could say this, the most special of um, artifacts that Israel had. It wasn't, you know, the, the tabernacle cords. It wasn't the, the stakes, the silver sockets of the tabernacle. Oh, no, no. This was the Ark of the Covenant. And the wonder about this miracle is that it tells us that it was at harvest and the Jordan was in flood. In other words, the water was really going places. It was fast. It was furious. In fact, you know, it would have been, I believe, dangerous to go across. I think that's why the scripture mentions it that without God's help, if those men had stepped out without the instructions of God, they could have lost their footing. But more than that, they could have lost the ark to the river. And so there was a lot at stake here, God's honour and the ark itself and the priests. And this was going to be a step of faith for them because they're told very simply, when you, get to the, when you reach the edge of the Jordan, Go and stand in the river. And they said, you, excuse me, 
Have you seen the river? Do you know how deep it is? Do you know how fast it's running? Can't we wait a couple of months when the harvest, when the, the rivers have gone and it's come? No, no. This is how you will know the living God is among you and he will drive them out because see the ark of the covenant of the Lord will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And this was going to be the sign. This was going to be a sign that God was going to be with them when they got to the other side. In other words, when you see the ark in the middle of the river, when you see the miracle that's taking place, when you see the waters backing up and the priests on dry ground, you will know that the next great challenge for you is the Canaanites in the land ahead. And we have Jericho and we have the other cities in the promised land that would have to be removed and they would have to be dealt with. May I just pause now and just take a second if I may. There is no doubt about it that when Israel went into the land, it was, um, there was death and slaughter. There's no way around that it is there. And you know, we've got to realize that these nations were judged because of their behavior. We're told in scripture that the Canaanites were very evil. In fact, because I, I'm not aware of who might be listening to this, I can't go into their sins in a public way such as this. But they, as I said, deserved the judgment of God. One commentator says, well, why did God pick on the Canaanites when all the other nations were as bad? Well, let me tell you this. The other nations are going to be judged by God. Read the book of Revelation. The Canaanites got judged early, but let me assure you, the nations will be judged by the king upon his throne. And so this crossing the Jordan had a, was a signal of future. See, every miracle that God does today for us is proof that he's going to bless us tomorrow and step in. And so every answer to prayer today gives us faith for tomorrow. So God provided for them in the wilderness. There was the manna, there were the quails, the shoes didn't run, wear out. There was tremendous provision. They're now here. And this was a sign. Joshua is saying to them, when you see what God's going to do now, it will give you faith to believe that we will be able to take this land that God has given them. So verse 14, when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was in flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon, wonderful verse, as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, that step of faith, that going forward, they're carrying the ark. What happens if we drop it? What happens if we lose it to the river? What will, what will happen? Will we be struck down? No need. The minute their big toe, and I'm assuming they had a big toe because I've got one. The minute their big toe touched the Jordan, a miracle took place. And God then exalted Joshua in the eyes of the people as he had exalted Moses in the eyes of the people at the Red Sea. And we're told very simply, the water backed up in that way. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up into a heap a great distance away at the town called Adam um, in that way. And then it says there, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Again, I do thank a friend of mine called Phil Niblett. He won't be watching this, I'm sure. But I remember him speaking on Joshua 
at a, 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 a camp we were at. And he made great emphasis of this. And I hadn't noticed it, but Phil did, and he brought it into his message, his Bible study, that they crossed over opposite Jericho. Because if you will remember, the next challenge that Israel were to face was a walled city. They'd had warfare in the wilderness. And as you know, when the story of Moses' arms being raised and Joshua, our first encounter with him in the battle, Moses' hands were raised. So they'd been in warfare, they'd had battles, but they'd never come up against a walled city. And isn't it wonderful that at the very spot they crossed, the next challenge they were to face, the next obstacle was Jericho, this wall city. And we all know what happened there. We won't sing the song, but the walls came tumbling down. Okay? At that place. So even where they crossed was in preparation for the next challenge. Even the event of them crossing over on dry ground, they could say of Joshua, do you know what? That's what happened with Moses. That's what happened with Joshua. We followed Moses, we are now going to follow Joshua. They weren't following Joshua as a man. They were following him as a man who God was with. And no one expects any pastor to be a God. That's blasphemous. But we expect those who lead us in whichever role that is to seek to put God first and to know God is indeed with them. Well, we're almost there. You've listened well on a very warm afternoon. Okay, and the waters got the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. So you've got the picture, I hope. I don't know how wide the Jordan would have been at that point, but there we have it. They're standing there. They've got poles. We find that there were poles that went through rings on the side of the ark, um, this great box, and they had to stand there and they carried it on their shoulders. They were not allowed to put it on a cart. In fact, there was judgment later for someone who did that. That's another story. I won't go down there. You won't get home today. But there they stood. I'm sure it was heavy. I'm sure it, it took some holding. But there they were, in the middle of the Jordan, in flood, wondering, where's the water gone that should have been coming past us? It was up the road a bit at a town called Anna. It was well away from them. And they stood. And they stood. And they stood on dry ground because of the miracle, because God was with them. And every moment they stood there, it was a sign that God was with them, that God keeps his word and will get you through. And may I say to anyone who's listening or with us today, you may feel like that. You say, Gordon, I'm on the wrong side of the river. I'm in trouble. I've got problems. Well, please sanctify yourselves. Deal with any spiritual issues you may have and then go and put your foot in the river and see God perform a miracle. But the miracle is not an end in itself. Many people feel that when God does something for you, that's an end in itself. So if God was to heal you, well, that's it, God's healed me. No, 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 no. God's healed you because he has something for you to do. He's healed you that you might have a testimony that can help others. It's never an end. We're never, it's never an end in ourselves. God didn't save you as an end in yourself. God saved you that you might tell others about Jesus Christ, that they may come to faith. And the time came when indeed the priests would leave the river. And when they left the river, the waters returned. I'm, I'm going to get the DVD out in heaven 
when that happens. I want to see this wall of water come running down that Jordan Valley. It must be something unbelievable. I hope God just pulled the plug and let it come because it would just show what might have happened if God not, had not stood in. And then the last thing I want to bring to your attention, if I may, is this. In verse 17, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. They stood, stood firm. Great word. Stood firm. Stand firm. Say, oh, I've missed church. Of course, yeah, we've missed you. Pastor Colin said that earlier. So, well, I've missed this. And I, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same. But stand firm. Read, don't read your Bible less. Read your Bible more. Don't pray less. Pray more. You know, if I could ask you to double your prayer life, I would. So if you're praying five minutes a day, make it 10. If you're praying 15 minutes a day, make it half an hour. Let's double up on our Bible. Let's double up on everything. We want a double portion. Well, let's do a bit more, a double effort in our devotion. Let's, in, let's forgive people twice as quickly as we do. Let's not be slack in our giving to the Lord in monetary giving. Let's keep fit. Let's get ready for what God has for us next. And then if I've said lastly before, forgive me, he says there, and they stood there while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. The whole nation. So this wasn't just a select group. This wasn't just the priests or the Levites. This wasn't just a, a, a special, the whole nation. Some of them had great faith. Some of them had little faith. Some of them were young. Some of them were old. There would have been a whole batch. It was the whole nation. But the truth of it was that God took them all to the other side. Now, some of the tribes remained and returned to that side of the river. God gave them permission to stay on that side. But before they could take up residence on that side of the Jordan, they had to help their brothers and sisters conquer that side of the Jordan. So the whole nation. And our prayer is that for you and your family, that you and your family will move across the Jordan. We as a church, in our cell groups, in our youth work, in, in the hub and all the other things, the ladies' ministries, the, the, the myriad of, of events that are taking place in this church, we are believing and praying that when we, this lockdown is over, that the whole church will be on the right side of the river, that you'll all be there with us. Joshua had gone out. The priests had stood there. He didn't stand in the river. It wasn't his ministry. The priests didn't hold back the river. The ark didn't even hold back the river. God held back the river. And he exalted the mercy seat before the people as he exalted Joshua before the people. So thank you. You've listened. Uh, I noticed some of you fanning yourselves. When you finish fanning yourselves, you can come and fan me if you want. It, it is warm. But thank you, for, thank you for coming out on a very hot Sunday afternoon. And thank you at home. Whatever time of day you may be sharing with us, we're glad you've joined us. And we pray that you'll come again. We have a 5.30 service when Scott will be ministering. Again, please come with your Bible. Come with an open heart to hear from God's word. But before I conclude my part and hand back, may I just pray for us and that indeed we will sanctify ourselves 
We'll follow the presence of God where he's taking us and we'll all be on the right side of the river together that we might conquer something great for God.